0: Thanks, Derek. Have a seat, everybody. And get comfortable. Don't you hate it when a preacher says that? Wow. Everybody's like, "Uh uh-oh, how long is this one going to go? Not long. Not long. We've got some great things that are going on here this morning in our Bible classes that are going to begin after we're through here in this room. We have classes that meet uh, all over our campus. They're on the back of your glory, praise, and honor. We encourage you to find one to go and uh, to be a part of uh, today uh, our elders are going to be in all the Bible classes and they're going to be uh, praying with you They're going to be um, sharing different things that are taking place here within our East Brainerd family talking to you about also ways that you can uh, Be involved and participate in some of the wonderful things that are uh, Going on we want to make sure that they get plenty of time to be able to discuss the different uh, things that they have on their mind And um, so we're not going to take a whole lot of time, but we are going to begin something new today that is called, as you see, the gallery of the gallery of grace. And I'm so glad that you were here, to Zach Mercer. You're here today. Hey, did you guys know that Zach Mercer is about to go to Guam? Do you guys know that? Here you go. Okay, look, I got this. Just I saw you over here. Stand up, buddy. I don't get too many pictures with guys that go to Guam, all right? So here, let me get ready. One, two, three. One more. All right, good. Hey, Zach is about to go to Guam, and he's going to be hanging out on submarines with the United States Navy, and he has been uh, taking care of a lot of his training up in Connecticut And has uh, completed that training. He's got a little bit of time that he's hanging out with family and then when do you leave Zach? Where? Next Saturday. Awesome. So if you need to get a picture with Zach before he leaves, all right, for your gallery at home, uh, just look for this strapping young man. He'll be in the back just hanging out. He'll take pictures with whoever and you can go and put them up uh, there in your home. You think that might sound strange? I know of people um, actually individuals a part of our own congregation who have taken pictures of themselves before to other people's homes and left them there. Steve Kahn, I believe somebody in your family has done this, isn't that right? That's what I thought. So that if you visit and you see some in someone's home, you see someone from the Kahn family and you think, well, they don't belong here. Well, that's just what I know Mac did at one time. He would take a picture of himself and he would go visit a family, somebody that he went to school with, and he would just leave a picture hidden somewhere within the family (laughs) photos at the house and later on they would find that they had an extra son who knew so if you'd like to do that with Zach and take a picture with him and then set it up and people in your family would come by and say well I didn't who is this young man you can talk all about Zach and he's in Guam and uh, please be in prayer for Zach Uh, we are so proud of you and not only for what you are doing but for the person you are and we have been in prayer for you We're going to continue to do that, but it's great to have you back with us, buddy. So good to see you. The Bible is a gallery of grace, and there are so many portraits that are contained within Scripture. So many portraits that are there that, as you read through, you just get lost oftentimes in the pictures. You get lost in the stories that are being told. You walk through their corridors and... You stare deeply on the canvases that are there on display. Each one tells a different story. Each one showing a different heartache, perhaps a new hope. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're just going to walk through Scripture's gallery of grace. And we're just going to stop periodically and and gaze at a canvas. And allow the portrait that is there to speak to us. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you up front that you will begin to see yourself in the pictures. At first, you'll just see someone from the dusty pages of Scripture, perhaps someone that you've heard of before, perhaps someone that is brand new. But over time, as we continue on, I'm pretty sure that what's going to happen is that as you gaze into the frames of Scripture, you'll begin to see yourself. So this morning we're going to stop by the Luke wing of the gallery. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, I encourage you to do so. Luke chapter 7. Jesus is walking into a small town called Nain. His disciples are with him and so is a large crowd. Now Nain means beautiful. And it's a paradox because of what they are about to encounter. As they approach the city gate, the gate called Beautiful, a corpse is being brought out, carried out of town, only moments away of being placed in the dirt. And what I want you to think about from the very outset of our conversation this morning, I want you to think about if there is something that is present right now in your life that is taking you out. Are you on a stretcher? Are you on a stretcher being carried to the grave? Not f- physically, but spiritually, emotionally. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Maybe you're dabbling in something that's opened you to attack and, and made you susceptible to the danger. And if you're not careful, that stretcher is going to carry you straight out of town and into that hole that is there for you. Your death will be a spiritual one. It's a death of heart and soul. It's the death of a vision. It's the death of a hope. It's the death of a dream. Maybe it's already happened. Maybe, maybe you were carried in here this morning. and Maybe that stretcher is prepared to carry you away from the presence of God. Maybe the stretcher that you're on is a relationship, and you're in a relationship with a person that you know is ultimately wrong for you. You love this person but it's not going to work and you feel this sense of dread and and you've been praying about it and you've been wrestling with this whole idea in your heart trying to justify things from every single angle but you understand, you know in your heart of hearts that it's not healthy. That the relationship needs to end and that if it doesn't it's just going to carry you away from God. Maybe that stretcher is a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. You thought Jesus was your buddy. He was that big guy upstairs, a friend that you merely sing love songs to. He was the meek and mild shepherd that you remember seeing in your Bible classes. Or maybe you just thought that having Jesus as your own personal savior meant that he was some type of cosmic butler, and he gets you things when you need them, and he's always there whenever you ring. And like your slippers or a new car or a great job or pain-free life, that's what you desire. But the misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he desires from you can lead to your spiritual death. Or maybe let's just call it what it is and let's just say that the stretcher that you're on is just your sin. You're living in a pattern of rebellion. You know that's harmful to you. You know it's harmful to those that you love. Your sin is overt and it's public. And everybody knows that you're leading a defiant life. Maybe your sin's quiet. Maybe you've done a good job at hiding the sin that's present in your life. You hate it. You hate the way that you feel. But you harbor grudges. You believe the worst about others. You lust. You incense. You insist that your sin isn't hurting anybody at all. But deep down you know that you're on a stretcher and you're heading on a road out of town. Or maybe your stretcher is a wound. Years ago you were hurt. Someone said something. Someone did something. And you just can't forgive. You can't move past. You you can't get beyond it. And so you're on this stretcher now and it's loaded with bitterness and hatred and resentment and your wound is killing you. You see, the stretcher can be a number of different things. It can be legalism or rage or shame. It can be guilt. It can be entitlement, arrogance, jealousy, disappointment, disillusionment. We all have different stretchers. and Whatever it is, we're being carried out of town right now. But the good news is, and what I think that we're going to see from our story, from this picture that's in Luke chapter 7, is that no matter what stretcher that you're on, I truly believe that there is something inside of us that can still be brought to life. It says in verse 13 of the chapter that when the Lord saw the mother, when the Lord saw the mother of the son who had died, that his heart went out to her. He was moved with deep compassion. And his response to the woman is just another example of something that I hope you'll write down on the front of your glory, praise, and honor and and think about it over this next week is the fact that God is the friend of a wounded heart. He's the friend of a wounded heart. You see, Jesus' reaction to this woman should not surprise us. In Isaiah 42 and verse 1, Isaiah is talking about what the Messiah is going to be like, what the Christ is going to be known for. and He says, here is my servant, and I will put my spirit on him. In a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. Now maybe you know this morning what it's like to be a bruised reed. It wasn't so long ago that you stood up very tall and proud. There was a confidence about you. There was an eagerness in your life. And then something happened. You were bruised. Maybe it was harsh words. Maybe it was a friend's anger, a spouse's betrayal even. Maybe it was just your own failure that caused the blow. Maybe it was religion's rigidity and others that would not allow you to move past your sin. Whatever it is, you relate. You know what it means to be a, a bruised reed. Or maybe you understand more the idea of a smoldering wick. It's that flame that no longer is as bright as it once was, it's flickering and failing. You you are still warm from yesterday's passion, but there's no fire. You're not yet cold, but you're not not hot either. It wasn't always this way. But then came the wind. It was a cold wind. It was a harsh wind. And they said that your ideas were foolish, and they told you that your dreams were were too lofty. They scolded you for challenging the time-tested. And the constant wind wore you down. You stood strong for a while, but then there was this one endless blast that just whipped out your flickering flame, leaving you one pinch away from darkness. And the thing is, society knows what to do with us when we're broken. Society knows what to do with us when we're just barely hanging on The world will break us off. The world is going to snuff us out. But the artists that are present in Scripture, the artists that would dip their pen into the grace of God and begin to paint the stories for us, say that God doesn't treat us like the world. The Creator has a special place for those who are bruised and weary. You see, God is the friend of the wounded heart. And so he looks at the woman and he says, Don't cry. And as you read through your Bibles, you'll see that probably all of them say don't cry, but the worrying that is used there actually is one that's much deeper than the idea of crying. It's a word that means to express uncontainable, audible grief. You've seen it before at the gravesides. Maybe you've experienced in your own life when you just can't control yourself, and the pain that you feel and the agony just becomes a a deep emotional cry and the tears flow and the, the sound begins to come from somewhere guttural and it just comes out and you don't care who hears you don't care what kind of scene is made but Jesus looks at her in this moment and he says don't wail don't sob uncontrollably and he walks up to the stretcher and he holds on to it. Enough so that those carrying it are, are stunned and they stop where they are. Just doing this means that Jesus will be ceremonially unclean for a week. He doesn't care. He doesn't care that he's vo- violating ceremonial traditions. doesn't care that he's violating what is acceptable funeral practice. God has a heart for the wounded. So he touches the funeral bear, and he speaks to the dead man. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. And I love it that there's an exclamation mark right there in your Bible. It's right there. If you like to underline things, just underline, not a word, underline the exclamation mark, circle it. Because Jesus was reaching with his power and authority into death and commanding that which was dead to become alive again. And he wasn't just hoping that something might happen. It wasn't just something that he he was thinking, wow, maybe if I say this, something amazing will take place. He was giving death an order. And he was saying, death, you don't have power here. Death, you do not have any type of hold on this person. And I command you to obey. And immediately, the dead man sat up. And he began to talk. And can you picture it? How that he begins to reach up and claw at the grave clothes. Trying to get off the bondage that he has around him. And everybody is watching what is going on. Here was someone who was completely dead. Now he is completely alive imagine being in the crowd the gas that would be heard imagine the look on the mother's face who had been one moment weeping and now she's shouting for joy because a dead man was breathing again see i believe that the good news is all about new life isn't that what last week's easter remembrance was all about you couldn't have forgotten it already right You couldn't have moved past Easter so quickly that you've forgotten that the good news is all about good life because Christ lives, we too live again. And right now, perhaps, in the midst of your own funeral procession, you need to listen closely because the same words that Jesus said to that young man centuries ago, he's saying to you right now, get up, get up. Get up from your stretcher of sin, your stretcher of disappointment, your stretcher of unmet expectations. Get up from the wrong decisions. Get up from the grief. Get up from the pain. Get up! The one who spoke power centuries ago still speaks with the same power. Because God still works in the lives and hearts of His people today. You see, too many people think that the power and presence of Jesus have nothing to do with the here and the now. And I think it's one of the greatest tools of the enemy, that he's been able to convince you that Jesus cared for people thousands of years ago, but he doesn't care enough now. He doesn't care about your loved one who's on the stretcher. He doesn't care about your grief or pain. A relationship with a living Jesus, you're just too far gone. You're too dead, you're too far removed, and yet it's all a lie. Because God still works in the lives and hearts of people today. And right now at this moment, he is walking up to your stretcher and he's firmly grasping the very thing that is right now carrying you to the grave. And he's speaking the same words to you that he did to the young man. Get up! Get up! It's the gospel in the purest sense. The good news is all about new life and when the people saw what had happened they were amazed the text says they were filled with awe and they praised god they said a great prophet has appeared among us god has come to help his people with one command jesus turned a funeral service into a worship celebration And I enjoy Eugene Peterson's description of the event. He says, They all realized that they were in a place of holy mystery. That God was at work among them. They were quietly worshipful and then noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back, looking to the needs of his people. See, God had never left Nain though many there probably thought that he had. It had been some 400 years since a prophet of God had spoken. From the closing of the Old Testament, the closing of the words there of the prophets to the crying out of John the Baptist in the wilderness had been some 400 years. 400 years for people to wonder if God was paying attention. 400 years of strife. 400 years of conquest. 400 years of a cycle of sin and repentance. And sin and repentance was God paying attention. And in one moment, as Jesus looks at a man who is dead and says, Get up, and he gets up, the people understand this is like the prophets of old. This is what we have heard before. There is a new anointing that's coming, there is a new spirit that is here. And there was this outflowing of emotion, this outflowing of praise. And friends, I think our churches are dying, are dying to see. God move in their midst. And too many congregations have decided that the Lord is no longer paying attention and that the Lord is no longer concerned and that the Lord is no longer active and working. And because congregations have decided that God no longer works, they no longer see the beauty and the grace that is present in their midst. Only God can give life to what is dead. Only God can give life to a dead relationship. Only God can give life to a dead ministry. Only God can give life to a dead dream. It is only God that can give life to a bruised reed or to a smoldering wick. And it is only God that can revive you. It is only God that can revive this community of faith. Do you remember that the word name means beautiful? I kind of just said that in passing at the beginning of our conversation. It means Beautiful. And yet there was a stretcher of death in Beautiful that day. But Jesus stopped the funeral and turned grave clothes into beauty again. And maybe as we've been going through this, you've been thinking of your own stretcher. And you're thinking that that's all you've got is just a stretcher of death. But Jesus loves to interrupt funerals. And in Jesus' hands, he turns stretchers into worshipful celebrations. He grabs a hold of stretchers and he tells those who are lying there that you can live again. And I want you to hear the voice of the Lord this morning. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. But you need to understand something, church. That when you climb off your stretcher, don't make the mistake of thinking that your resurrection story concludes with you. It doesn't. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 15, it says when the dead man set up, he began to talk, and it says that Jesus gave him back to his mother. You see, Jesus didn't merely restore one life that day. He restored two. He restored two. Scripture says that the dead man was the only son of a widow, and if you were a widow in those days... If you were a widow in those days, you had very little that you could depend on. You were basically broke. Legally, you could not own any type of property or business. You were dependent on relatives. If if your husband then was dead, you depended on, hopefully, your eldest son. And if that son is gone, then you are at the mercy of those of the community. The husband had died. Now her only son was dead. She had not only lost two of her loved ones, but she was probably facing the aspect of having to leave the funeral and begin begging for her next meal. She had a broken heart and a grim future. But get this, Jesus gave life to the Son in order to give grace to the mother. He gave life to the Son in order to give grace to the mother. And I just wonder who will receive God's grace because of your new life who's going to receive God's grace because you get up off the stretcher could it be your spouse could it be your parents maybe it's a dear friend maybe the grace is going to be realized in the workplace or maybe it'll be seen at your school you see our healing Is for God's sharing. God shares the healing that takes place in your life so that others can rejoice. You see there's more at stake than what happens in your life. What is at stake is is how God wants to raise up hope in a family. What's at stake is how God wants to raise up hope within a church. What's at stake is how God wants to raise up hope within a community, within a nation, within the world, to the point that where people look around, they see what God is doing, and they raise up their voices in praise. He's working in the hearts and lives of people today. And those of you that go to school at UTC, you need to know something. There is no campus that is too far removed from God. And those of you who are living here in the city and you see different things that are disappointing you, you see heartbreak, you see injustice, you see perhaps death, you need to understand that he writes no city off. He steps into the prison cells of death and he proclaims freedom and life. And I guess if you haven't written down anything else this morning, will you write this down at the bottom of your GPH? God has come to help you. God's come to help you. He wants to touch your life and to use your life to raise up hope for your generation. You see, I, I told you earlier that as we go through this study, that you're going to see certain characters and then you're going to end up seeing yourself. And hopefully, as you've been reading through, you've already begun to realize that either you're an instrument of God's grace, that you're a witness of God's grace, Or you're a receiver of God's grace. Maybe you're that instrument and you're the one that has already decided to get up off the stretcher. You're the one who said, you know what, I failed at my first marriage. I failed at my second, but I'm not going to fail at my third. And I'm going to live in a way that honors God. Maybe you've turned your back on your friends. Maybe you have, instead of being there when they needed you, you were selfish and you were all wrapped up in your desires. But you've gotten up from your stretcher. And you said, now it's going to be different. Now I'm going to live for others. I'm going to love my neighbor even more than I love myself. God has worked mightily in your life. He has changed your perspective. He has changed your direction, and you are his instrument. Maybe you're the witness. Maybe you've seen what God has done within your family. You've seen what God has done, maybe even within this own church, in your Bible class, within your small group. You've seen how that because of God working in his active grace in the lives of those who have been around you, you have no other recourse but to give praise. And so what I'd love for you guys to do this week on social media, those of you that are social media gurus, instead of just putting pictures about your family and, and all the different things that your great children are doing, by the way, mine turned 13 yesterday, somewhere on social media, will you, will you, will you list how you have seen God's grace and put hashtag God helps. You just put something on social media how you have seen God working in the life of somebody around you, maybe your own individual life, and you put hashtag God helps and you allow whatever message it is to put out, whatever it is that you have witnessed to be something that causes others to give praise to God. But maybe you're not the instrument of grace. Maybe you're not the witness. Maybe this morning you need to be the receiver. It's time to let Jesus shine his light of truth and mercy and grace and healing on you. It's time for you to get up off your stretcher. It's time for you to live again. And so we're going to sing good, good father together. And I want you to know if you need the grace of God, if you need for it to be shared with you through others who have already been raised from their stretcher, then I'd like to encourage you just to come forward and make your need known. Come forward and make your need known. I guarantee you there are others who have rolled off their stretchers who will be down here to meet you. Some of our shepherds, our spiritual leaders here will be down here to pray with you. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. And live in the grace of God. I've heard.